So as I mentioned earlier that uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, and I should warn you, we're not going to have the standard Pentecost reading. And that's simply because we did that a couple of weeks after, uh, after Easter. This is, this is the right time to do it in terms of the sort of time scale of the original events. But if you're doing a sermon series in Acts, you're slightly stuck for what you're going to do for all of those five or six weeks. So we're going to do today what is often called the Gentile Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in a very similar way, but on the, on the non-Jewish world. Um, so that will be uh, the passage that we're looking at this evening. <clears throat> and we're going to read the whole chapter, chapter 10. Um, and so hopefully you will enjoy what I think is quite an engaging little story. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. On one day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter who we already know, by the way, is in Joppa. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied Peter. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel came to him and had to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him stand up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. 
but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest of, in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened through, throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of jo that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we look at these words now, as we, as we look at this story, I pray that you would help us find our part in it, um, that we would know you calling us, commissioning us, and sending us out to be your presence in the world by your Spirit. Amen. I don't know if there's a particular time when you would have loved to be a fly on the wall. Um, I, I have a particular instance where <clears throat> two great heroes of mine uh, ended up having a lengthy conversation. Um, the first of those heroes is a guy called John Stott. He's a theologian and a church leader in London, wrote lots of amazing books and was quite, quite formative for me as a young Christian. Um, he died just uh, three or four years ago. Um, the other hero was Paul Simon. Yes, I'm a massive Paul Simon fan, the singer-songwriter. Um, and, uh, and these two characters it just inhabit completely different universes. But somehow, Paul Simon ended up with one of John Stott's books, was struck by it, and was in London for some reason, and uh, got in touch and said, hello, Dr. Stott, would you uh, be willing to meet for a cup of coffee? And Stott said, well, I'm, I'm a little old for that, but 
come over to the house and, uh, and we'll chat. And so he did. And in this little apartment off Baker Street, John Stott and Paul Simon had a chat. How I would have loved to be a fly on the wall of that chat. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure that it was a terribly transformative conversation for either of them, which is, the, which is a problem, especially for me, because the whole illustration actually, to some degree, um, rides on the idea that it was transformative for both of them. So let's just imagine for a moment that it was. Um, but here we have this story that's a little bit similar. These two guys from completely different universes who would not normally have any real contact with each other find themselves thrown together by these visions of God. Um, and they are profoundly enriched by each other in different ways. Um, you could say that for Peter it's a, it's a, it's a sort of external uh, uh, enriching. He, uh, he, is, he understands his theology better and he understands what, that's, what that means for the way he's going to practice the mission that God has given him. Uh, for Cornelius, there's something profoundly internal, something profoundly relational. He gets invited to be a follower of Jesus. Um, they're the same story, looking at the same stuff, uh, but one uh, more internal, one more external. So we're just going to look for a minute or two at those two uh, journeys uh, of discovery that these two guys go on. Um, <clears throat> To understand the Peter story, we have to go somewhere that you probably are not expecting us to go, um, and that is to the story of Jonah. Um, now, I don't know if you noticed that Peter starts the passage in the city of Joppa, um, which is where Jonah sets off across the sea uh, for, uh, to, to escape God. Now, just to remind you the, the, the nuts and bolts of the Jonah story, Jonah is asked to go to Nineveh to preach. Now, Nineveh is the capital of the invading uh, empire of Assyria. Uh, so it is the enemy. It is the source of great persecution for Jonah and his people. And it is the last place Jonah wants to go and preach uh, God's welcome. So what does he do? He goes in directly the opposite direction out to sea. Now, you go out to sea uh, he's, he's aiming for a land the other side of the sea. But the sea, uh, in that mindset, is where God just isn't. God just doesn't go, in, go near the sea. And so malevolent chaos lives in the sea because God is nowhere to be found. But Jonah makes a discovery, and that is that even there, God is present. Uh, and God orchestrates this ridiculous course of events where he's thrown over the side of the boat in a storm, is swallowed by a fish, um, and uh, is vomited back up on the shore. Uh, and now he knows God is, in fact, God of everywhere. So Jonah, if he's the God of the sea, he's also the God of Nineveh. Off you go. And he goes to Nineveh and preaches. That's, uh, that's, that's Jonah in a nutshell, sort of. Um, but Jonah, whether or not we believe it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a necessarily a real story, um, my personal feeling is that it, it, it doesn't need to be, that it is, it's, a, it is a, it's a prophecy as a story. Okay? It's a prophecy of the people of Israel um, in their reluctance to be a blessing to the world that they were commissioned to be. Um, they instead, uh, in many ways, wanted to keep it to themselves. They became prideful. 
the last thing they wanted to do was talk about all of the, the, the love and welcome of God to the whole world, especially not to people who were their enemies. And that's a little bit the, the Jewish culture that we find in the Gospels and in the, in the New Testament. We, this is something that Jesus is constantly battling against. And we see it in the person of Peter. Now, he is sent to, to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea would be the Nineveh of the day. Caesarea was the seat of local Roman power. They are again under occupation. Now, not the Assyrians, but the Romans. Um, even the name Caesarea, uh, Caesar, uh, in, uh, in Greek, it sounds Kaiserrea. So you get a sense of what this place meant for somebody like Peter. He is to be called, and he is to have to go as this reluctant herald of God's universal reign to the very people that are persecuting him and his people. Um, I, I suspect that there, there was the sort of there's a theological uh, component to how he would have felt. There was probably an element simply of, of prejudice that would have developed as part of the cultural context he was in. I don't know if you, you, uh, you know that when C.S. Lewis was uh, six or seven, he said to his dad, he said, Daddy, I have a prejudice against the French. And his dad said, well, why on earth is that? And he said, if I knew that, it wouldn't be a prejudice. Which is, that's the nature of prejudice, isn't it? That um, Peter may, may not have been able to explain all of how he felt at... Uh, at the non-Jewish world, especially at the Roman world, uh, they were so vilified, and, and there, was a, there would have been a deep-seated suspicion in Peter that went beyond what he could verbalize. And we see that despite his, his knowledge, or despite his years with Jesus and his knowledge of what Jesus had said, he's still being a little bit slow, uh, as we've often seen him to be, when the first Pentecost happens in, in chapter 2 of Acts, um, he's still functioning very much within a, this is a Jewish thing, mindset. He says, fellow Jews, fellow Israelites, during his, uh, his sermon. He's still basically locating this news in the people of Israel. And this is a constant battle for him. We see it pop, cropping up in a, a number of places in the New Testament. Um, and it was a constant battle for the early church. We see it appearing throughout the book of Acts, that sense of the welcome of all people into what they had thought was a Jewish privilege. Um, so Peter slash Jonah sees this vision. And there's this vision of animals uh, being let down in a sheet. Now, of course, you probably know that, that uh, that Jews don't eat pork. Well, actually, there's masses of animals that, that the Jews don't eat. They're all in Leviticus 11. Um, and he's invited to eat all of these in unclean animals. Um, now, the, the point, as I understand it, of what's going on here is that there's a whole swack of Old Testament law. Now, I'm treading on very thin ice here, just to warn you. There's a whole swack of Old Testament law that was for a time. It functioned... Uh, among a people who needed a really strong sense of identity, a really strong sense of we are the people of God, 
we are to be outward facing, the blessing, God's blessing to the world, but we are a defined people of God. We are different from the other nations. Um, and in this vision, Peter is told that actually that bit, that aspect of Old Testament law is no longer a thing. Jesus is, in fact, the, the new people. He is the one that has been already a blessing to all people, and he has a people that he is growing, the church. This is what uh, Acts is all about. They are to be the new people, and there are going to be different markers of these new people than those food laws and everything like that. And, of course, that new marker will be the Holy Spirit. That will be the equivalent for uh, this new people of God. This is, uh, I know that I'm getting technical, but this is what would have been going through Peter's mind, as I understand it. This is the journey that he would have been on. Um, it would be dawning on him that Christians don't first have to become Jews in order to become Christians. That actually people of every stripe, every culture, every personality are welcomed amidst their rich variety into this new kingdom. Um, Peter gets it, and he doesn't. Um, his heart doesn't seem to be in it, does it? Does it? As he, as he, yes, he follows obediently to Caesarea, and he walks into this room. He doesn't seem brimming with warmth to this group of potential believers, does he, that he's been called to? Uh, look uh, at what he says, 28 and 29, as he walks into a room full of, uh, of from what we can tell, very eager, positive, warm people. And he says, basically, well, you're well aware that it's against the law for me to be here with you lot. But I've been given this vision, and I'm being obedient to it. So what do you want? That's the flavor, isn't it? That's the flavor. Cornelius explains what had happened to him. And again, there's this little notch up for Peter that he starts to get it. Now, he says in verse 34, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation. Um, and he accepts it because it's starting to dawn on him that the, the story that Cornelius tells fits with the story that he knows about Jesus. Jesus, and to summarize the next few verses, this is how I would summarize those next few verses, Jesus showed himself uh, to be God's agent of peace for the whole world. And he showed it in the way that he lived and healed and spoke when he was around on the earth. Um, he was killed on a tree, but he rose again because as God himself, he had victory over death. Um, and he got to be not just the agent of peace, but above that, he got to be judge of all, the judge of the living and of the dead. This is the man who calls the shots. This is the one who gets to welcome, or not, everyone uh, into the kingdom of God. And actually, now I come to think of it, uh, the Old Testament is full of this, says Peter. This is, he's, he's learning, he's, he's realizing more and more the extent to which this is actually what the Old Testament has always been pointing towards. This idea that Jesus is the king of peace, the judge of all, um, and that his kingdom 
is one in which he gets to welcome people from every nation on the planet on their own terms. And Cornelius is evidence. And by the end of our passage, he's taken yet another step. He's the one, Peter is the one, that starts to take initiative with Cornelius. He says to, about Cornelius and, um, and everyone else that's in the room, verse 47, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Um, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Let me say a word or two about uh, the sort of Pentecost element of this, this idea that they spoke in tongues and praised God, which is what we hear in Acts 2 that happened to the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. Um, if, you were, if you were here for that, um, it, I was preaching that one as well, and you, you may or may not remember that I talked about Kung Fu Panda quite a lot. And the reason I talked about Kung Fu Panda uh, was because the story of Kung Fu Panda, basically, is that there's this overweight uh, panda who's a bit of an idiot, um, who's good at one thing, and that is making noodles. And he suddenly finds that he's been commissioned to be the dragon warrior who is going to save the valley with his kung fu skills uh, against Kai Lung, Tai Lung, who's this impending uh, evil leopard who has a British accent, of course. Um, and the film is really about Kung Fu Panda coming to terms with this new identity and working out how on earth he is going to be the one to defeat Tai Lung, this legendary warrior. Um, now, what does that, what's that got to do with Pentecost? <laughs> The thing it's got to do with Pentecost is, is that that's how the early church would have felt um, as Jesus is taken up into heaven, having left them with ringing in their ears this commission to take his message, to be his heralds throughout the world. This bunch of local, uneducated, inarticulate, mainly fishermen, how on earth are they going to transform the world? And they were terrified. They hid themselves away in this little room. That's why it's a little bit like Kung Fu Panda. The, how on earth are they going to carry out this massive commission that they've been given? Um, and that's what Pentecost is. It is God commissioning them. Um, and we saw that in a number of ways. Firstly, Pentecost is a harvest festival originally. It's the festival at the beginning of harvest that looks forward to the end of harvest, to the autumn harvest, that sense that um, at, on the day of Pentecost, a harvest was beginning, and they were being brought into this great harvest of, that, that God was going to, that God will one day bring to completion. So there's that sense of envisioning of the harvest. And he gives them his Holy Spirit as the empowerment, empowering presence that will go with them uh, and enable them to break all of these cultural barriers go on uh, with this message throughout the world. And he gives them this new identity as the new people of God, the new hands and feet of Jesus. And he does that in the symbol of baptism. So all of that is embedded in this moment here, where Cornelius and his friends suddenly find themselves invited to be part of this great vision of God. He finds, they find themselves 
welcomed in to this new people of God on equal terms. And they find themselves commissioned to be the heralds of King Jesus to the world, alongside Peter. Christians from every nation uh, no longer need a passport, a Jewish passport, to be Christians. They, uh, we get to come as we are in our rich variety. And that, in some ways, is the whole trajectory of the book of Acts. Right back at the commissioning uh, that Jesus gives the disciples, he says, you will be my uh, witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, which is the kind of home counties of Jerusalem, um, and to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. And Joppa, sorry, Caesarea here is just on the edge of, of uh, Samaria. This is the gateway into the rest of the world. And of course, what better person to start this next phase than a Roman centurion? So that's the theoretical, that's the sort of theological road that Peter goes down. Uh, and very quickly, much more quickly, dare I say. Um, Cornelius goes on a much more personal route. It's the same stuff. He discovers the same stuff, but he discovers them on the inside, I suppose you would say. In a nutshell, he's a really good bloke um, who is clearly humbly seeking after God, um, and, it, and which, of course, is a comforting story for those of us who don't have a particularly dramatic background full of criminality and, uh, and so on, that, that God uses this story. Uh, of somebody who's just a good bloke um, and uh, is humbly seeking God. He's, he's interested in Judaism, but he hasn't become a Jew. Maybe he's on track to become that. But he doesn't know very much beyond this basic instinct of searching for God. Uh, he does, I think, have a sense of exclusion. He does recognize that he is currently not a Jew and that he's missing out on something. And it, that seems to be the character of his prayer because there's something in in the way that the angel talks to him that assumes that it is answering a longing that is in Cornelius for something more. Maybe Cornelius understands that being a good bloke isn't actually enough. Of course, if, if it was all right that, Pete, that, that Cornelius did his praying and gave generously to the poor and was a generally a good bloke, if that was enough, there would be no story. There would be no visions. He, God would just let him get on with it. But no, there is something more that he's missing, something really deeply fundamental. And God uses Peter to explain the story of peace and life uh, through Jesus and invites him into this new, fuller story. So Cornelius gets to be welcomed into the fullness of the people of God alongside even the greatest Jews he might have ever met. He is welcomed as one of their own. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God himself in him, commissioning him and sending him and uh, all of his friends out to be his heralds. Um, and he is baptized, welcomed in, uh, in that symbolic act uh, of dying to the old life and being included in the new. And that is the personal road that he went on, which is basically the same stuff 
as Peter went, went uh, it, it discovered, but with that sense of invitation, that sense that it's not just theory, this is about God genuinely see, see, uh, searching out this man, honoring his search for him, drawing him in to all the fullness of, uh, of the kingdom of God. Let's take uh, just a moment of quiet um, and recognize both of those facets for us, that welcome of God, that we, like Cornelius, are welcomed in, um, that we get to stand shoulder to shoulder with Christians around the world, that Jesus welcomes us in on the basis of his death and resurrection. There is forgiveness and new life. And with it comes this commission uh, to push this message out into the furthest boundaries of the world, whether they be out there in, uh, uh, um, in, in all sorts of parts of the, of the world, or whether that's here in London, dark places that we'll find ourselves this week. Every place we are, we go as the presence, the, commissioning, uh, the commissioned presence of Christ to be his hands and feet 